0: When you look at Oregon's state forests, what do you see? Do you see trees, streams, wildlife, a place for people to go to escape their towns or cities to experience nature? Or maybe you see all that, but you also see cash, timber jobs, what should be and once was the backbone of some rural communities. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with investigative reporter Ted Sickinger about his recent series on the myriad ways Oregon's Department of Forestry is failing. And the billion-dollar lawsuit filed by more than a dozen counties that argues the state isn't cutting enough trees and the counties have been left in the lurch.
1: And What they're, they're looking for is to manage these state forests like industrial tree farms. And they make no bones about it. That's what they want. They do not want older trees being grown. As a endangered species and they're saying that the state is allowing these trees to get too old and we'll never be able to harvest them.
0: We talked about those issues, the state's $100 million wildfire woes, and much more. I think a lot of Oregonians, when they think of the outdoors, think of the national forests. Um, but you, I'm sure, visited some of these state forests in your reporting what do those look like? Uh, can you describe the landscapes? Yeah, they're a little different, um, and it
1: depends where you are. If you go to the, you know, Mount Hood National Forest, those are big old-growth trees. Those don't exist on state forest land anymore. Um, you know, there are, I don't know, maybe less than a half a percent or just something in that neighborhood of state forest land that's actually old-growth timber. A lot of it is in the you know fifty to seventy year old tree range, and you know a good deal of it looks like just industrial forest land. It is a crop, and it's been planted for harvest. It's tight packed, densely packed, mono you know species. What the department is trying to do, or has been trying to do since it you know, um, put its existing forest management plan in place, mm-hmm. is to actively create you know more complex forest structure that that feels like you know these kinds of woods that you hike through that have you know some very large trees mixed species you know a a high canopy um you know a bunch of snags you know per acre you know specifically trying to build that complex forest that that you know you know that's prime wildlife habitat and uh well, for some
0: species, anyway. How did you get onto this story? You know,
1: I was approached by um, a guy this spring who was concerned that the forestry department's budget, um, not just the forestry department, but the state forest division's budget, was out of control and that they were harvesting trees, uh, perhaps, to keep up with their purse costs. And as the government accountability reporter, one of the things that I've covered quite extensively in the past for the Oregonian is the public employees' retirement system. And it would be no surprise that those costs were increasing pretty rapidly because they are across state government. Um, but he, you know, the the consequence of this was he's saying, you know, we're, look, we're, you know, the the department is being forced to clear-cut trees in order to cover its pension costs. I find that... You know a really perverse outcome of some of the you know the problems we're having here, and he was uncertain about it um, but he thought it was sort of up my alleyway to 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 look into and I agreed I thought that was wow that would be a strange consequence of you know of these pension problems we're having so I began to look into it and it became a little bit of an odyssey the Again, the the budget problems that the state forest division is having, and the you know the backdrop to this, As it turns out they have not been good at all in responding to board of forestry, which is their oversight board, has been looking for more information on the financial
0: sustainability of the state forest division for years. These I, are these are boards appointed by the governor, right? I and mean, these are right. folks who are serving voluntarily, but are. Supposed to be overseeing these agencies.
1: Right. And the agency, uh, I think, has been, it's kind of in a bunker mentality and uh, maybe feels like it is occasionally being bullied um, by some of the board members. But it has been, from what I've seen, uh, non responsive, very opaque, both in terms of what's driving um, their financial problems how they have um, solved them and kept the agency afloat. And it's at this point, it's got two competing kind of priorities to solve the problem. One of them is it's developing a new forest management plan. That's been under development for six years. And that is supposed to be a plan that will increase both financial and conservation outcomes. Mm-hmm. That is the directive from both Governor Kitzhaber, former Governor Kitzhaber, and from Kate Brown. And I, there are a lot of folks who feel like that is, that's not attainable. You know, there are, there are trade-offs and you're
0: asking for, you know, calorie-free hot fudge sundae there. Um, you're just not going to get both. Yeah. So maybe uh, we could take a step back and you could explain a little bit. I think a lot of, as the government accountability reporter, we're used to, or any, you know, civic reporter, people are concerned about their tax dollars going to X, Y, or Z. But with the forest or the forest department, it's not, Uh, you know, my property taxes or your property taxes or, you know, income tax, it's, um, it's literally uh, revenue from these trees, right? Can you explain how that works?
1: Uh, Yeah, this is a department or this division, the State Forest Division is dependent entirely on the harvest revenues that they get off of 729,000 acres of state forests. And they don't get any general fund money, no taxpayer money goes into the into the agency, and every year the, you know, the agency puts out an annual operating plan in which they, um, they put you know, 230 to 250 million board feet of timber up for sale, which is sold to timber companies. Um, they harvest it, and the revenues are split. 63.75% um, goes to uh, these 15 counties, I think it is important to sort of understand where the forest came from and that dates back to sort of the 1920s where um, you had timber companies that were kind of pursuing this cut and run strategy where they would, you know, they'd log an area and then it was then unproductive land and instead of, you know, continuing to pay property taxes on it, they would um, turn it over to the counties in in lieu of taxes Mm -hmm. um, or be foreclosed upon. Um, and the counties ended up building up these fairly large pools of uh, unproductive land on which they weren't earning any revenue, but they still had to protect from fire and pay the state to protect from fire. And that trend accelerated in uh, the 1930s. You had the the some really some of the state's largest historical uh, wildfires, the Tillamook Burn, um, which ultimately burned you know 300,000 acres and series of six fires starting in 1933. The Great Depression, where a lot of uh, logging companies and individual landowners went broke, and the counties, you know, ended up with this surfeit of unproductive land that they weren't earning any money on. They didn't have the money to manage it, reforest it, etc. You know, that it had been burned over, salvaged, logged. You know, a big part of Tillamook County was just this, you know, ashen moonscape out there that. it would require state resources to rehabilitate that land so um, I think it was um, Governor uh, Sprague um, who recognized this problem and there was a series of acts passed the Forest Acquisition Acts, that allowed the counties to deed this land to the state and the state then agreed to protect it from fire, rehabilitate it, and when the the forestry production came back to share a percentage of the revenues with the counties where the the land was located. And that percentage has um, changed over the years, Um, but today is 63.75% of the the revenues go to to counties off the top, and the rest is retained by the Oregon Department of Forestry in order to pay for managing this land, thinning it, um, arranging the harvests, Um, you know, forest management.
0: I know it's kind of a, it's counterintuitive for folks to, a lot of people to think of, but you are managing nature, right? I mean, the same thing with the Fish and Wildlife Service. You're managing wildlife, but it's uh, one of this, it's hard to wrap your mind around, but that's how they, that's their mission. That's what they do.
1: That's exactly right. And uh, you know, it's expensive. Some of the things that they try and do are unsuccessful um and that you know contributes to their you know their budget difficulties right now they they want to kind of change their their management uh, plan because they feel like you know some of these treatments that they do are are ineffective and they're expensive they are not creating the kind of habitat that they they want um and i think the the conservation community is worried that they're going to change their plans to just, you know, manage these more like industrial forests, um, and you know the pushback on that is that you know, we do have the Forest Practices Act, and a lot of the timber companies say, look, we don't have to have. It's not either or. We can have all these values on the forest. You know, we can create, you know, great habitat. We have the Forest Practices Act that, that, you know, has these protections in it for streams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we live out here. We know how to do this right. Um, and, I, you know, again, these are um, actively managed uh, for, for timber harvests. You know, this is not the national forest, which is essentially shut down these days. These forests are being managed for, for crop.
0: So the Oregon Department of Forestry's financial issues aren't just due to the logging situation. Your reporting um, it showed that wildfires um, and the state's ability to fight them um, is also tied up in this. Can you explain to folks a little bit um, what happens when there's a wildfire and and how much money uh, uh, the state is in debt right now for past wildfire uh, costs?
1: Or that the agency has three divisions. One of them is the Fire Protection Division. The other is the State Forest Division. The other is the Private Forest Division. And the, um, the Fire Protection Division is responsible for protecting state forests, protecting private landowners who pay you know, a tax every year um, to pay for this you know, uh, protection surcharge, and... Um, for fire protection on their lands. The agency under contract with the BLM, with Forest Service, um, also fights fire on federal lands. Federal lands are a huge part of Oregon's forest land base. They're 60% of it. State forests are 3% and private is maybe 35. We have had back-to-back High fire seasons, 2019 was an exception, but you know, there was a run of them from 2012 to 2018 that were were huge um, on average. And what the department does is it sends out not only its own personnel, and it draws those personnel from across the agency, They call it a militia approach. So when there's a big fire and they have an incident response team that they're sending down to um, southern Oregon to fight on BLM land.
0: Yeah, the Checo Bar fire, for example.
1: Right. They are drawing people from across the agency. They are emptying the hallways um, down in Salem and in the various districts in order to uh, supply these personnel uh, to fight these fires. And they are also coordinating... Um, response when the governor uh, declares a conflagration, it's ODF that sort of is the lead agency in coordinating that response, and they are also responsible for collecting the bills. Um, so these costs can be huge every year. I mean, even in 2019, which was a, a low fire year, it was 40 million dollars that you know they had in receivables. Wow. Um, and at present, they have. Um, about 125 million dollars in outstanding fire receivables, and uh, you know the agency says it was kind of caught off guard by these back-to-back seasons. But they also, it appears, badly mismanaged the administration of this, and you know they part of these, you know these uncollected fire costs. They go back to the 2013 fire season. Um, they have finally billed, um For all the 2013-14 costs, although they haven't been paid for all of them, still some of the 2015 costs are uninvoiced, Mm -hmm. and literally they have boxes and boxes of shift tickets from these fires and kind of equipment lists that they are sorting through, comparing to cost sharing agreements and contracts that they have with federal agencies you know auditing those numbers and then having to to send out the invoice and then there's some delay FEMA apparently is you know um it takes forever to pay its bills so this is not you know it's not unexpected and it also mimics a problem that uh the, the U.S. Forest Service had called fire borrowing where you know essentially Congress was not budgeting adequately for fire protection and then the department would have to you know rob Peter to pay Paul and you know undermine its other programs in order to um, pay its fire bills. And Oregon needs to come up with a similar solution. The solution at a federal level was to you know, be able to access federal the FEMA funds for natural disasters, which you know, uh, one of our senators, Ron Wyden, was involved in arranging that. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the management problem that they have is is significant as well. They said, you know, we didn't have adequate personnel to simply sort through this stuff and, and, and build this out. Another problem they had is they hadn't told their board um, that this was a problem for them and that this was a severe cash flow crisis, and it undermines activities in the rest of the agency. I mean, you know, brings everything to a halt.
0: Do you get a sense, Ted, if other states fight fires the same way, for example, when we look to California and see the wildfires going on there, are they, you know, is it the same type of situation there where they're paying, uh, you know, the state's paying uh, to fight fires uh, all across the state and hoping that the Fed's paying back? Uh,
1: You know, I don't have a great sense of that. I know Cal Fire is a completely different setup. Um, I'm not sure whether Washington or states like Colorado yeah. and Arizona, uh, which have had some you know, fairly large um, fire problems, it's something worth exploring in future f- stories. For sure. sure. Well, we can- and the governor has now appointed a financial task force to oversee both the acceleration of the collection of these things as well as you know how do we deal with this long-term, what kind of funding structure do we want to put in place so that the agency isn't – you know, put in the position of robbing its other programs to pay these costs.
0: But regardless of how California uh, pays or, or doesn't pay for this, it doesn't. Uh, you know, it, it you look down there and see what's happening there right now. Uh, we're recording this in late October. Wildfires are ravaging the state. Um, you know, if Oregon doesn't get its uh, its house in order, um, we're already fighting fires. Um, like you said, this year was was a uh, a slow burn, and there's forty odd million. Um, don't have to have a vivid imagination to to wonder what might happen during a bad year.
1: No, I mean, the the length and severity of fire seasons has um, been worsening due to climate change. And I think um, this is viewed as a a problem that we really need to figure out uh, because it's one that we're going to be
0: dealing with on an ongoing basis. We talked a little bit about how this story came in. Into your orbit, but once you sink your teeth into something, can you you know describe a little bit to folks how you what your process is like when you tackled this story, kind of how you developed it uh, as it went along?
1: Again, this came in as just as a tip to me because I cover the pension system a lot mm-hmm. that you know perhaps some of the budget problems within the state Forest division were a function of their increasing per costs it turns out one of their board members had been asking the same question successively at board board meetings and getting nothing back from the department. And when I asked the same question, I said, you know, can you give me your your actual PERS costs over the last uh, six, seven years? Um, They couldn't do it um, or wouldn't do it. And so I then got into their budget requests and their actual budgets for, you know, the last several biennia, and I was able to determine, you know, here's what the purse costs are, and indeed they were a big problem. But I also at this point was asking other questions, and, and I wanted to know what what are the cost drivers that are leading to this financially unsustainable uh, situation that has been, you know, you guys have been complaining about for since the Great Recession in 2008.
0: That's a decade ago now. It's a
1: decade, and they have been saying the same thing. You know, our, our current budget model is unsustainable. Well, fine. Show me. You know, where does the money go? And that's a lot of the kind of reporting that I do is follow the money stories. And it was frustrating because the department was unable to come back to me with a line item list of their expenses. And board members have been asking the same questions you know what are the levers that we can pull to change this or you know what costs are out of control and this department simply refused to provide it so again i ended up in in their budget requests uh, they did come back to me with sort of generalized areas of, you know, here's some some broad expense headings. You know, this is how much we spend on uh, services and supplies, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing particularly granular, um, which is really, you know, what the board needs and, you know, what the department really probably needs in order to determine this eventually. But I then ended up running across, you know, some major cash flow issues that they were uh, running into, um, and... Yeah,
0: And so you end up having to go back through, again, these are budget requests made to the legislature, um, and you're kind of piecing that together because the state was either unwilling or unable to provide that information to uh, the Oregonian Yeah, and to the they, board members. They
1: did come back with some information, but not information that was Easily understandable that you could break down and really say, you know, okay, here's the problem. They're spending, you know, four million dollars on endangered species surveys you know, every year, um, and that cost is going up. But, and I still don't have that information. Um, you know, again, I don't think anyone's ever seen that level of detail at a board level on this. Um, and until they do, they're not going to understand you know, what's driving this problem.
0: So all that context is kind of the backdrop, Ted, for uh, this lawsuit, uh, that, um, 15 of these counties or actually 14 of these counties, right. Are participating in, um, can you give a little bit of the background of why, uh, these counties are, uh, taking legal action against this, the state of Oregon? Well,
1: for a long time now, the, the counties,
0: or many of the counties have been
1: complaining that the state is under harvesting, um, the state lands, um, in, um, Again, their their mandate is to manage these lands for the greatest permanent value to the state of Oregon. And what they have done is filed fourteen of the fifteen counties, and I think one hundred and fifty special taxing districts. That'd be schools, ports, soil and conservation districts, you know, all kinds of you know, public safety um, have filed a lawsuit alleging that the state has breached its contract with the counties by failing to maximize the harvest revenues from these state lands. Essentially what they're saying is they, uh, when they deeded the lands back in, and it was over a period of 30 years that these lands came to the state, then in effect they had established a contract with the state and that the meaning of greatest permanent value historically at the time these lands were deeded was timber revenue
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that it came down to dollars and cents. You know, maximum value is... The harvest revenues so maximize harvest revenues um, the state's position is that uh, in the forest acquisition acts they also mentioned recreation clean air clean water uh, you know other purposes and that that this the, the lands were acquired for multiple purposes obviously Oregon has changed over that 80year period and for a long time the these timberlands were not particularly productive but you know when they were rehabilitated replanted and they'd grown for 50 60 years um that's when this controversy began to to percolate a little bit and there were environmental lawsuits in the 80s and 90s right. to stop the state from harvesting the lands and the state at that point decided um to develop a new forest management plan and a far more explicit definition of greatest permanent value, and when they did that, and it's called the GPV rule um, in uh, sort of the industry lexicon, they laid out a very specific hierarchy that that named all these purposes. The forest management plan was adopted in two thousand one, and a lot of the the state lands were kind of off limits and that worked out to be not particularly financially viable to have half the forest off limits and right. they had over a period of time lowered that to 40% of the landscape in 2009 and then 30% in 2011 and they have since been manipulating the 30% of the landscape that's designated as complex to bring more trees into the harvest bucket but The counties contend that, you know, all along since 2001, they should have been harvesting at a much greater level. And they are seeking a billion dollars in damages. Um, And that is $35 million a year since 2001, plus a sum sufficient to Mm -hmm. generate that kind of revenue stream going forward. And they say, well, you know, you can manage these lands however you want.
0: But if you're going to do it that way, we still need the money as if you were maximizing the revenue off the land here. So they're not disputing uh, the tenants of of the forest management plan as it's been adopted. They're saying this this might be the rules of the forest, but if that's the case, you still owe us this money uh, based on. Uh, the maximum uh, productiveness that you mentioned earlier.
1: Well, I think that's what their lawyer says now. But this industry was really, I mean, the, the lawsuit was launched with the support of the Oregon Forest Industries Council mm-hmm. and two of the largest uh, buyers of timber off the state forest, Hampton and Stimson Lumber. So, you know, if you listen to the environmental community, this is still a land grab by the um by the timber companies who were hoping to force a settlement from the state. Um, initially, were seeking $1.4 billion in damages. They've revised that down to $1 billion. But if they were to succeed, that would be a vast settlement that the state would have to pay. I think it would be tied up in appeals for years and years. But, you know, it could— effectively lead what they're they're looking for is to manage these state forests like industrial tree farms and they make no bones about it that's what they want they do not want older trees being grown because that's a endangered species right and they're saying that the state is allowing these trees to get too old and we'll never be able to harvest them so uh, you know there's i think at this point the state has not caved. It's it's not said we're going to settle this. So, the, you know, I think the, the reasoning of the lawyer has become, look, you can manage this how you want, but we expect the money um, if you don't maximize harvest revenues.
0: Uh, let's talk about the p- politics of the equation a little bit. Uh, obviously, Governor Brown is a Democrat. Um, some of these areas are uh, on the northern coast are, um, well, Betsy Johnson's a Democrat, um, and she's a powerful lawmaker. I mean, How involved is she politically in this? And and what are the, I guess, the politics in Salem uh, surrounding this? Because obviously there's going to be some degree of blowback uh, no matter how this shakes out.
1: Um, The rural counties have always held a lot of sway. And the timber companies um, in Salem, you know, outsized to sort of what their economic influence is at this point. But, you know, effectively they've had kind of a, a veto power on you know, state forest policy. Um, and that means when the department comes in and it says, look, this formula that we've been under is no longer viable. You know, we're, we're just, uh, it doesn't work anymore for us. The counties have been able to say, and the timber companies, no, we're not going to you know get you $3 million for your recreation program out of the general fund. Mm-hmm. You're self-sustaining harvest more. And, it, you know, really has come back to that debate again and again is the state ought to be harvesting more. If you are, you know, financially non-viable, um, you know, cut more trees. And it's been a bit of a stalemate because they haven't succeeded in getting what they want out of the legislature, which was a bill in 2015, for instance, that said you need to up your harvest, and I forget what the specifics of it were, but to the numbers that you were originally modeling back in 2001, you promised us a certain level of harvest you haven't gotten there. Um, but again, that hasn't passed. Um, but you haven't been able to get out of this budget stalemate or budget straightjack as I put it in the story that I wrote, um, that again, their hands are tied. Um, if they have a, a certain level that they feel is sort of a sustainable harvest level, um, and they have been going above that in recent times mm-hmm. um, to solve their budget issues. Um, but you know, Betsy is obviously a powerful voice in Salem, and she is a vocal supporter of um, you know the counties. You know, there's there's a whole slate of county commissioners and um, and legislators who have you know, been stalwart and are sort of supportive of this. Um, revenue arrangement and, and getting more harvest off the state for us.
0: Let's take a break. So where do we go from here with, with this lawsuit?
1: Well, uh, it is scheduled for trial it is underway right now. And um, it's up to the jury. And this is a kind of Interesting, and in that it's a pretty technical um, decision on their part that you wouldn't typically see put before a jury on sort of legislative intent. And you know, I think there's, there are many people who feel that the court should have decided this. Mm. Um, but uh, there are a lot of folks who feel like they they shop this down to Lynn County as the um, the county that launched this. For a favorable venue and judge, and they certainly, the state has has not been performing well in um, you know the preamble to the trial. Its motions, it's it's lost. I you know 19 of 20 maybe, um, and if a decision um, comes down, it's it's left to the jury to decide. Okay, what you know, what did greatest permanent value mean back in 1941? Was it this multiple use, or was it maximizing revenues? And if it was maximizing revenues, what are the damages that these counties have incurred since two thousand one, um, when the state implemented this new forest management plan that sort of changed its its harvest plans?
0: What's at stake for Oregonians who who might not live or recreate in in these forests? I guess I mean what 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 should uh, other Folks think or, or care about, well, wh- why should they care about this? Well, it could be a substantial sum of money that
1: um, all counties, uh, you know, so these 21 other counties that don't have any state forests, essentially taxpayers are going to be responsible for, if there is a big settlement, um, for paying that. Yeah. Um, and it will go to a very few counties. Again, it hasn't been determined if there's a billion dollar settlement, let's say how that is going to be distributed. But it probably will be based on either the acreage of state forests in particular counties or historical revenues that have come off of them. And that will lead to a very few counties getting a really large sum of money and the rest of the twenty one other counties, you know, ending up really having to, to fund that. Um I think there are there are a lot as the population has grown in Oregon these forests in, um, you know, really all over the state have become a much larger destination for fishing, hunting, camping. Um, you know, the, the the Oregon Forest Resource Institute does a survey every year on what Oregonians value about um, forest land in the mm-hmm. state. And consistently what comes out on top of that is uh, scenic values and nature, um, you know, the economy does work in there, but it's not one of the top values that that Oregonians as a whole have about their their state forests. So, you know, the the value system in the state now um, maybe has a different uh, view of these forests than, you know, the the counties um, where they're located.
0: You know, I I grew up in Jackson County, which is, uh, you know, used to be a, a very big timber area and you know, Boise Cascade shut down facilities there. Um, it was more of a federal fight over logging yeah. on federal lands. But, you know, that area, obviously a lot bigger than these coastal communities, but it's become this medical hub uh, for northern California southern Oregon. You know, some folks I know think, hey, hey, uh, folks on the coast, you're a tourism destination. Lean into that. The days of of uh, logging are gone, Um but some of your reporting had some really uh, interesting insights from folks who live on the coast. Um, could you talk a little bit about, about the folks you talked to about that conundrum?
1: Right, well, again, the, the forestry jobs that are out there, the logging, the mill jobs, the trucking jobs, etc. those are still some of the best paid uh, jobs in these rural communities, and they pay full benefits. You know, have got medical, dental, 401K, um, and uh, they have an outsized economic impact. Um, and then there's the revenues from the state forests. Um, tourism, by contrast, um, pays well below the, the median county income levels. And these aren't benefited jobs for the most part. Um, so I think there's some resentment that that's the message from you know, urban or you know valley legislators, come on, lean in on tourism when, you know, hey, that's that's not paying the bill, and uh, you know, we need good paychecks out here. We need you know benefited family wage jobs, and they are few and far between. And the forestry industry and wood products still provides a good chunk of those in in these counties. And um, with the shutdown of the federal forest, the state forests have become a much more important source of the logs that sustains those jobs.
0: And without those jobs, um, you know, you got someone working at a local brewery, but they're not making 50, 60,000 a year with, with bennies. Right.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Thank you so much for, uh, explaining this complex issue. Uh, it, it seems like a, a fire line is, uh, encircling ODF, uh, and it's uh growing closer <laughs> that's the, the the portrait that you painted uh thank you so much sure thanks for having me thanks for listening to beat check with the oregonian you can find a link to ted's series in the episode notes you can check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com slash commuting or follow me on twitter at andrew Thien. a reminder to subscribe to beat check anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear the latest episodes If you like the show, please leave a rating or review to help us spread the word. Until next time.